0: I love it. How is everybody today? Everybody doing good? Yeah. Turn to your neighbor and say, keep calm and carry on. on. Amen. I was asking the Lord, as always, Daddy, what do you want to say to your kids? What do you want me to say to my brothers and sisters? And um, this is the phrase that came up, and I'm going to tell you in a minute here where that came from and kind of how that came about. God's got a really good sense of humor. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's in a good mood. Yes, he is. He is not angry. He is not upset. He is a good father. He's a good, good father. And he most often is in a good mood until the enemy messes with his children and he hears us cry out. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So I was a little surprised when he gave me that keep calm, carry on verse, and then he brought me to Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 30. If you're familiar at all with the book of Isaiah, he, he's one of my favorite prophets He's an Old Testament prophet who oftentimes spoke to the day and then spoke to the coming Messiah and spoke to the future. And many of his prophecies weren't fulfilled for hundreds of years to hundreds of years later. And uh, we're in an interesting season here in our nation. Many of you know that the prophets are under attack. My daughter's blowing me kisses from the back. Love you, baby. Um, Many of you know that the prophets have been under attack. Amen. Can anybody say amen? Amen. Okay, there's been a little bit of confusion about the role of a prophet, the role of the prophetic, what that looks like, should the prophetic be involved in the church today, Um, what's a true prophet, what's a false prophet, how do you know when someone's a true prophet, how do you know when someone's a false prophet, turn to your neighbor and say "God God knows, that's right, if the prophetic word aligns with the word of God and aligns with the heart of God, just because it doesn't come to pass doesn't mean it's false, Okay? Isaiah was a true prophet who gave true prophecies that did not come to pass for years. Decades. Centuries. And we're still in the learning mode with the prophetic, amen? Sometimes we get ahead of ourselves and we get excited and we put dates on things that we probably shouldn't have put dates on, but the prophetic word itself was good, amen? Anybody ever done that? Okay, we always say no dates, mates, or babies. You just say what he tells you to say. That's it. Don't add a date, don't add a mate, and don't add a baby. Because everybody has free will, right? So we try not to go there. We don't play God. We just are here to let people know that are struggling with hearing from him what it is he's saying and how he feels about them. Amen? Prophecy in the New Testament is for the edification of the body. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's here to edify. Okay, Now, there is a time when a prophetic word it's, is appropriately given in usually written form, especially in the context of a corporate body, to be submitted if it's a word of correction or it's a difficult word or it's something that has a warning on it, right? But we want to be so careful with that. We want to be so, so careful. So when I was reading this this morning and God gave me the word keep calm and carry on, I thought, Lord, I don't know if this, I want to say this this morning. But then I got halfway through this chapter, and at first I was like, yes, 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 this is this sermon's making me a little nervous. It feels like a sermon of judgment. It feels like a sermon talking about the wrath of God, and it wasn't settling well in my spirit, knowing what I know about who Jesus is and what he did on our behalf. So I'm like, Father, help me understand. So my friend, um, Tinika's here today, and she was praying for me last night, and she could see I was kind of struggling, like, Father... I need the puzzle pieces to sit in a way that aligns with your heart of love. So I hope that as we, as I communicate this to you today, that's what you get out of it because the Lord changed my perspective. It started off when he took me to this verse, and I, this is why I was like, Jesus, are you sure? Isaiah 31 through 5 says this. The context Of This is really talking to an obstinate nation, a nation of God's people that were really functioning in habit and in stubbornness and really just being obstinate, kind of saying, you know what, I don't want to change. I don't want to do this different, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, say, neighbor, just go with the flow, flow. right? You got the glory of God in you, so you can go with the flow, Amen. And we're in a nation right now that's, that's struggling and figuring out who they are. We're seeing some obstinate things kind of come to the surface. It says, woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord. And I thought, oh, Lord, ouch. To those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. So what does an obstinate spirit look like, Right? It's those individuals that are forming alliances that are not of God's spirit, right? So that, that abstinence literally means a, a stubbornness, a stubborn spirit, okay? A resisting spirit, one that hears the truth and says, mm, not me, not me, la, 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 You ever done that when you were little? I can't hear you when you were a kid, right? And when we have those moments when we don't have a full enough revelation of God and we plug our ears and say, no, 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 I can't hear that, I can't hear that, I can't hear that. Because if I hear it, then I have to face this thing about myself, and if I face this thing about myself, I don't think I can bear it. But when we know who he is... We don't have to resist anymore. We don't have to be obstinate anymore because we know he loved us so much that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know that the son of God loved us so much that he said, I will give up all of eternity to lay my life down for you. So as I was reading this, initially I was like, ooh, this makes me a little nervous. This sounds like a wrath message. And the Lord said, no, it's a message of appeal to the obstinate ones, to the ones who don't truly know my heart, to the ones that are afraid to let me love them because they don't know who I am. And I said, okay, I can roll with that. So it goes on and it says, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to the Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt for shade and for refuge. Okay, so Egypt always represents the world. And we've all been there and done that, right? When we're running from God, when we don't know him well enough to know that we can trust him, in our stubbornness, we're saying, I can't look at this, I can't look at this, I can't look at this. And he's right behind us on the heels of our feet and chasing us down and saying, son, daughter I love you turn around turn around and we're still walking away going oh I don't feel safe I know I'm not worthy so we go to Egypt we go to the world and we say I'm going to try this to numb my pain I'm going to try this to make me feel more beautiful I'm going to try this to make me feel more accepted more loved and all the while father God is running behind you saying daughter No, son, no, turn around. I'm right here. I'm everything you need. And he grieves. Not because he's upset with you, not because he's disappointed, but because he loves you so much. He created you for a purpose, and he's saying, I have so much better. Please, just trust me once. Trust me once. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because it will only take one taste. It goes on, and it says, up shade will bring you disgrace. How many have been there? You chased the world. And you're like, oh, I'm really sorry I did that. <laughs> Sounded like a good idea at the time. I was trying to make myself feel better, and now I actually feel what? Worse. And then the enemy comes alongside, and he, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you sinner. Right? You're so bad. God doesn't love you anymore. And you're like, oh, it must be true. That's a lie, we believe. And here's Papa right behind you saying, daughter, son, you are mine. And that same blood that saved you on that first day still stands today. And in, in my sight, because of that finished work, you are clean. You are righteous. You are beautiful. You are mine. It says, every one of them will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, they aren't bringing you anything good. But Jesus has got it all. Amen. Amen. Yes. I want to take just a moment and think about this season that we're in as a church because alliances are being formed. And in our nation, and in, in the corporate body, we are at a crossroad. We are at a crossroad in regards to whether we will be obstinate in certain areas and say, no, 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 I don't want to face this about me, about my family, about my nation, about my state, about my views, about my preferences, about my culture, about my sex. Or we'll listen to the voice of God that's chasing us down and we'll say, we'll turn and humble ourselves, and listen, and receive, and believe what he's saying about us, and surrender. I said this many times, but some of you weren't here. In 2018, that word about the reckoning, I didn't understand what it meant. For those of you that are accountants, you know, I know we got a couple accountants in the room. You might understand that better than me, but I didn't understand. A reckoning is a reckoning of accounts, When we're leaning on the finished work of Jesus Christ, our account is always way positive. We always win out. Our balance is never negative. We always have more than enough, everything we need. When we're leaning on our own works and righteousness, we are always going to be in the red. We're always going to feel like we're falling short. We're always going to be upset with ourselves. And our enemy, that we have a very real enemy of our soul that wants us to feel that way, but it's not true. And the only difference between landing on this side of the balance sheet and landing on this side of the balance sheet is humility. That's all it is. Loving truth enough to say, I just had a conversation with a very good friend about this. We were talking about the struggle. How do you do it? How do you do it? I said, well, I repent quickly. I surrender quickly. I say, I suck in this area, and I totally blew it, and I surrender quickly. How many of you have a couple areas where you still suck? Okay, let's just be real. Okay, we can say suck in church. Let's not get religious. Okay? We have a couple areas. Like I was talking to my other friend, staying with me. Okay? And we said, oh, I lost it. I'm going to be honest. I lost it for a minute there. You know, I got home last night. We got 10 people staying with us. I was trying to prepare the sermon. I had a cake to make. We'd just gotten back from something else. And I get inside, and my fridge is all full of new food and very disorganized, and I'm having a meltdown. Okay? Here goes the thermometer. My friend's looking at me. She's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I will be. (laughs) I'm not right now, but I will be. And I was like, Lord, what is important here? And I had to inventory myself. Okay, so whatever it was in me that needed that thing to be in such perfect order that I was getting frustrated, was it more important that the 10 children that are staying with me are fed? Or was it more important that my fridge looked perfect? It was more important that those babies are fed. Amen? And I had to humble myself, and I had to repent quickly, surrender quickly, shift quickly. Did I reorganize the fridge still? Yes, I did because I'm OCD. But I did it with the right heart. (laughs) Okay, big difference. Slamming stuff around versus going, okay, this is, it's going to be all right. We're all going to survive this moment we're having here. Right? Amen? All that to say there's alliances that are being made. Okay? We're seeing alliances form. And it, this has been prophesied all over the nation and the world. And really, at the root of all of it, is a spirit of obstinateness, obstinance, where there's a resistance. I won't. I will not. Or, Father, regardless of the cost to me, regardless of how it makes me look, regardless of how it feels to my flesh, I want you, no matter what. Amen? So I was like, "Okay, Lord, I can I can roll with this." So then he goes on in Isaiah thirty nine through eleven, and I think I have another slide here. Yes, and he says, "These are rebellious people, deceitful children, unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction." Now there's a difference between being obstinate because we're afraid. And then being turned over to a rebellion where we we don't just say, I will not, to where we say, not only will I not do it, but I'm going to do this on purpose and prove you wrong. Because I'm right and you're wrong. Anybody see pride in that? Anybody been there? Okay, every teenager in the world, don't lie. We've all been there. We all thought our parents were crazy. We thought we knew what needed to be done. Amen? Yes, Lyra, exactly. And we were going to tell them how it needed to be. And then we grew up, right? And we're like, whoa, (laughs) it's a lot harder to have a house and pay bills and raise children and get the laundry done and scrub the floors and the walls and homeschool, right? And your paradigm starts to change. You're like, whoa, okay. I knew some things. I mean, maybe that was true. And this mom definitely wasn't, her dad definitely wasn't perfect in this way. But um, I didn't understand the pressure that's on us when we have to adult. Amen? Is that the new thing? That's the thing the kids say, right, Cam? Adulting? Yeah. Okay, right? So you see all those memes out there about adulting and how hard it is to adult. I'm just cracking up. I'm like, adulting? I've been adulting since I was 11. (laughs) I'm like, Jesus, help me disciple this next generation. I don't know, you know? But they're right. What I love about this generation is that they know how to be children. And they've got that right. And I don't think it's an accident that we're in this generation and there's a generation that's saying, I don't want an adult. And we have to adult, right? We have to persevere in character because perseverance produces character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint. The character of God is the very thing that appoints us for our destiny. So we have to persevere into the fullness of who Christ is. But it is hard to adult. And the truth is, sometimes in America, we've defined adulting as almost like form, fashion, systems, the way it should be, the way it ought to be. And we lose that childlike faith. And that's what I love about this generation. They're like, I still want to be a kid. I'm going to watch princess cartoons if I want to watch princess cartoons. I'm like, amen. Let's watch princess cartoons together. They've maintained a sense of purity and a love for being a child. And I think more than any other generation, they're going to be the generation that has a revelation of the Father unlike any before. Because there's a purity there in that regard. It's beautiful. Amen. So it says, Children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instructions, they say to the seers, See no more visions. And to the prophets, Give us no more visions of what is right. So not just give us no more visions, but give us no more visions of what is right. Stop pushing me to do what's best. Stop pushing me to live like Jesus. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Yeah. And we do have moments where we're growing up in Christ. God bless you where we're growing up in Christ, right? And it's like, Lord, I'm at my capacity. I'm giving everything I have, right? And we're persevering under character, and we're like, I don't have any more to give, (laughs) right? And the world would say those are moments where we just lay it all down and throw in the towel and forget it. But the kingdom says greater is he that's in you than he who's in the world and that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So in those moments in the kingdom, it's opposite of what the world says, and we press into him. We don't press into our own flesh and our own ability to do it. We don't press into others and tell them they have to perform at a certain level, but we press into the love and into the compassion, into the mercy, into the humility, into the forgiveness of God. And we say, look, I'm hearing Laura sing this. We're all in this together see you singing it yeah right we're all in this together that's right all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God right so I'm reading this today and I'm hearing God's heart in this that it's really an appeal to those who've kind of been obstinate and are afraid and are running away and I'm looking at some of the situations that we're in corporately, as the body of Christ, as a state, frankly, even at a, as a city level, things I've seen at a city level, where individuals have in their woundedness said no and put up walls, and out of hurt, out of genuine, bona fide, legitimate places of hurt, stiff-armed others. And my heart just grieved because it was like I could see Father, God chasing them and saying, sweetheart, I'm just trying to talk to you. And they're so hurt. It's like they put up a wall. They shut down. And I think it breaks the heart of God. Not because so much because he's disappointed in the individual. How many of you have had small kids? Okay. You ever had a three- or four- or five-year-old that throws a tantrum? Right. You're not angry at the child because they're throwing a tantrum and they're upset. You're upset with the child because oftentimes a tantrum hurts them more than it hurts you. They're flailing around on the ground. They're hitting their elbows and their knees. They're breaking things in the house. They could get cut or hurt. And so you stop it because the child's going to get hurt, not because the child deserves to get stopped. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference? I had a really awesome conversation with one of my close friends about something called Twisted Justice, and I think I'm going to preach on that eventually, but we're not going to do it today. And as I was reading through this, God was talking to me and reminding me a little bit about that conversation and how we're born into sin, okay? It says, since Adam, all have sinned. Why? Because we're born into sin. Okay? Our spirits are separated from God until we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So we have this propensity towards sin. That's where the DNA arguments come from. This propensity to sin positions us that when we hear the voice of the enemy condemning us for the thing that we already know we did that was wrong because the law of God is written on our hearts. It positions us to automatically agree with that accusation because it's true. And then condemn ourselves until we hear the gospel. And that's why it's called good news. Tell your neighbor, say, I got some good news. That's right. Listen, God is not condemning you. He already condemned Jesus. Amen? Amen? You are forgiven. And now we're just at a place where we got to decide: Am I going to humble myself and receive the forgiveness? Right? And that same voice comes alongside and says, Well, you knew this was wrong. Well, of course you did. It's the law of God's written on your heart. But you can only obey to the measure that the love of God has shed abroad in your heart, To only to the measure of the revelation of Christ Jesus you have in you. We don't look at a three-month-old baby and expect that baby to ride a bike. No, we do not. That would be ridiculous. And we don't look at a three- or four-year-old adulting person and expect them to live their life perfectly and not do some of the ridiculous things that we did. Amen. Okay, now if you're 75 and you're still going around the mountain and you're an intelligent man or woman and you're still choosing to s- this this life of obstinance or sin or resistance, that tells you that something is wrong way back. And you're actually not operating out of wholeness, you're operating, uh, you're being triggered and operating out of a wounded place. If you didn't hear Craig Miller's um, preaching and teaching from the conferences, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the conferences on our podcast. You can go to shakinaonline.com and listen to them. What, how to pray when healing does not happen. He talked about that a lot. He said if you're a reasonable adult, and you love the truth, and you're still reacting instead of being able to respond, there is a wound you need to go back and now, let me clarify this for the young ones. Tap it out means touch your upper biceps like this until it, that trauma leaves your memory, <laughs> okay? You need to go back and tap it out. Trauma retention, I believe, is the number one killer in the United States of America. More than ever in the history of our nation, we're talking about our problems and about things that are wrong, and that's really good. It's really good to be talking about. It. It's really good to be getting those things out. It's really good to be vulnerable and get to that place where we can just say, hey, this is wrong, right? But we're kind of in transition where we're in that place of twisted justice, like I was talking to my friend about, where we're like, this is wrong. I'm like, wait, 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 what about the gospel? It is wrong. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, right? So while it's wrong, we have to be so careful not to get into a place where we want to punish people because something's wrong, but instead offer them or coach them through to a place of wholeness and healing where they understand, hey, <laughs> yeah, I used to do that too, or I know somebody that did, or guess what? Jesus forgave you for that. So how, how do you want to do it differently? Or when did, what is the first and worst memory you have of when you started acting that way? Let's, let's work with Holy Spirit on this and find out why you're triggering. Because you're smart. You're a reasonable adult. You know who you are. You want to fulfill your destiny. So there's a reason. There's another reason. Let's get to the root cause. Amen? So that you can be whole. We have a pastor of healing and wholeness because the reality is this. We can never take anyone further in Christ than we ourselves have been willing to go. Okay? And because that's true, it's to us first, then through us. Amen? All right. So it goes on in Isaiah 30. I'm going to go to the next one here just so you have that. Okay? Is this the right one? Oh, no. Just one second, I want to make sure I've got the right one. Yeah, it's one more down. Yes, that's it, okay. And it says, because you have rejected this message and relied on oppression and depended on deceit, the sin will become for you like a high wall. This is the wall I was talking about. So the more we choose to be obstinate and resist the truth, then we turn to rebellion. And when you say, no, I'm going to show you I'm right, and then we have to rely on oppression. So we're constantly pushing it down in us, and we're constantly pushing others away and o- having to oppress them because we don't want to face whatever's going on right here. Right? Anybody ever experienced that? You've done that? You push people away. You push it down in yourself. You withdraw or isolate yourself from others. Right? Because there's no other option. Because if you're in community and coin koinonia with other people, you're going to have to face it because somebody's going to be like, dude, what's going on? Can we talk about this? Not because they don't love you, but because they do love you. And that word koinonia, fellowship, it says. Confess your sins one another that you may be healed, right? That word fellowship, that you may have fellowship with one another, is the word koinonia. And what it literally means, it's, it's the word that means when a man and a woman have fellowship. the Adults know what I'm talking about. And they create something in the womb. It's a word of intimacy, where there's a give and a take between two individuals, spiritually speaking, and one humbles themselves and receives, and the other humbles themselves and gives the truth, and something new is created because one person was willing to be honest, and the other person was willing to humble themselves. And then something new is birthed or multiplied, and it's beautiful. And I think just about everyone in this room has sown into my life, at one time or another. I've asked you something or you've confronted me on something and I've received what you've said and I've humbled myself and something new was birthed in me because you were brave enough to be honest with me and I know I've spoken into almost all of your lives and when we get to the place where we so love truth where we're willing to at any cost see whatever needs to be seen it's so freeing You can walk into a room with the president. You can walk into the room with the most famous prophet. You can walk into the room with the millionaires and just be yourself. You're not trying to impress anybody. You really don't care what anybody thinks anyway. You can come in your pajamas. You can come in a, you know, whatever, fancy outfit. But you still are the same no matter what. There's a great freedom in being able to be who you are and feel okay about it because you know you're loved. Honestly, until we're able to be authentically us, we never really truly experience love. So the more we're honest about those messy things, about who we are and where we're at, and we have those hard conversations, and we process it out, and that koinonia happens, and something's birthed in in you or birthed in them, in those moments are when we feel most loved. Why? Because we said, here's my (laughs) mess. and somebody said, oh, <laughs> I love you, it's okay, let's work this out, right? It's like your most vulnerable moment you share with somebody, and then instead of rejecting you, they say, come on, love. But there are times when people aren't perfect, and maybe they do reject you, and then you go back to them, and you have a koinonia moment, and you say, hey, <laughs> I, I vomited on you, and I know I probably shouldn't have done that, but I didn't feel very loved. Oh, I'm so sorry, please forgive me, right? Every confrontation, every opposition is an opportunity to grow in the love of God. Everyone. So it says, because they have rejected this message and relied on oppression and depended on deceit, okay, so when we isolate, when we withhold, when we, after we rebel and we put up that wall, we have to deceive ourselves to continue in that life, because we know the truth. We know the truth. Everybody around us knows the truth. We're just not admitting the truth to ourselves. That's called deception. When we're not honest with ourselves about what's going on. Oppression means a prolonged, cruel, or unjust exercise of authority or power or control. And some of us have been cruel to ourselves for a long time. We're agreeing with the enemy of our soul, and we're putting ourselves down, and we're condemning ourselves. And Father's trying to rescue you from that and remind you how much he loves you. And he doesn't want you to continue to be cruel to you because that's why Jesus died, so that you can enjoy your life, so you could have peace, so you can be at rest, so you could be okay with the process of coming out of the mess. In others, okay, and I'm just speaking about our state specifically, out of their woundedness have created situations where in their place of authority or power or control, they have intentionally created mental pressure and distress or prolonged cruelty against others because of their own wounds. And we have to be so careful as the church not to be like, you sinner. Because they got a wall there because they're wounded and they don't know. And just like God is chasing us, God is chasing them on the heels and saying, baby girl, turn around. Turn around. I want to talk to you, sweetheart. Son of God, I made you my image. Come on. I got something I want to tell you. Does that make sense? And that spirit of religion can come alongside the church sometimes and, you know, cause us to open our mouth and try to put judgment out there. But we war not against flesh and blood, right? Against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. And even when a person is manifesting wickedness and things that are contrary to the kingdom of God, God loves that person. And I'll tell you what, I've had an interesting year. Just got an email the other day, and I couldn't even read it to you. Bleepity bleep 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 bleep. And I thought, well... I said, Lord, I'd I'd like to reply and say I love you to this particular individual. And the Lord said, no, you're just going to exacerbate the situation. And I said, what's going on, Lord? And then he reminded me of this particular person's story. And then he showed me the wall that she put up. And then he said, now that that wall's up, she's trying to prove that she's right. And now that she's trying to prove that she's right. She's fallen into deception. But the wall is cracking and bulging. And he said, I want you to just pray and be silent. And I'm telling you what, you're witnessing a miracle. Because for me to shut up and not say anything takes divine intervention from God himself. Any of you who've had a conversation with me know that's the truth. <laughs> when your gift is in your mouth, your gift becomes your dangerous gift, okay? So I said, okay, Lord. And I, uh, I didn't say nothing. No, thank you, Jesus. Sha-da-da-da. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Give me more grace. Give me more grace. Amen. But it goes on and it says, because you've rejected this message and relied on oppression and depended on deceit, this sin, and it is a sin, but it's a self-inflicting sin, will become for you like a high wall, cracked and building that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, so shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not even a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or for scooping water out of a cistern. So imagine with me that clay pot, a larger clay pot maybe than what Lonnie brought today. And it's shattered so mercilessly that a single piece can't even be picked up to scoop out a little tiny coal out of a fireplace or a little bit of water to get a little drink. When we allow the enemy to run our lives like that, and we allow him to oppress us or we oppress ourselves and or others, or we self-deceive to protect ourselves from having to take off the mask and be real and operate in koinonia and humble ourselves, that wall comes up and it protects us for a minute. And then you can't contain it anymore. And it says it's a bulging wall, so it's like it begins to pulsate. You ever been in that moment where you're like, I can't hold it in anymore. I can't hold it in anymore. I can't hold it anymore. That's because you're not supposed to hold it in. Yeah, you were made for fellowship. You were made to be with others. You weren't made to protect yourself. You were made to be protected by the one who loves you more than anyone else in the world. And that's your heavenly father. And as it bulges, it finally begins to crack and you're crying, you don't know why you're crying. You're snapping, you don't know why you're snapping. You're upset, you don't know why you're upset. It's because your wall is just your wall is bulging. Just let it blow up already. Turn to your neighbor, say, neighbor, let it fall. Say you're gonna feel so much better. <laughs> just let it out. Okay, now you say back to them, say okay. But it ain't gonna be pretty. <laughs> And you say back to them, neighbor, that's okay. I love you anyway. That's right. I love you anyway. God is such a good father. He doesn't expect us to be perfect and pretty and all put together all the time. My friend Tina comes in from California, my new friend, and we're laughing because I put makeup on. <laughs> the first three days she was there was doing yard work, okay? All he's over at my house. She still has that drill sergeant in her. I was like, dear Jesus, help me not to die. Okay, so we probably moved, what, two yards of mulch? She's like, we're going to do this, too. We're going to do this, too. I'm like, I can barely lift my legs. I can barely get up the stairs picking them up. You know, my hips are hurting so bad, and she's laughing. I'm getting out of the chair. I'm like, oh, Lord, I think I overdid it. But she's volunteering. I'm not going to tell her no. I forgot what I was saying. I could feel the pain all over again. Oh yeah, the makeup. Okay. <laughs> I love you. I'm so thankful for this woman. She has helped me more than she even knows this year, getting my home in order. I love you. Um, so we get there. So the first three days she's there, I have no makeup on. And frankly, let me tell you guys something. We don't wake up like this in the morning, okay? So I'm looking a lot different. <laughs> my hair is pulled back. You know, I got my casual clothes on and so I have that meeting with Lori yesterday, and I got all dressed up. She goes, oh, you look beautiful. <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah, this is the first time you see me with makeup on. <laughs> but God's a good father. He doesn't expect us to be all put together, right? And Hollywood's tried to convince us that everybody rolls out of bed looking all cute in the morning. It isn't reality. Okay, after babies, we have the belly, the gut, the butt, and the legs. It's just the way it is. Okay? So if you love us like Christ loves the church, you just deal with it and use your imagination. Keep your eyes above the hips. You'll be all right. Okay? We love you. We can't help it. This is the way God made us. We're here to birth things, okay? You need to make a little space down there to do that. I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. (laughs) Just having a rant moment, I suppose. But I need to say it for every woman in the world. We love you. We want to be loved. But our size changes as we get older. We can't help it. Right? And guys, too, ladies, right? They're not going to be muscular forever. The belly's a beautiful thing. It means they're not going anywhere. They like your food. Okay? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I don't know where I'm going with this. But I just needs to be said. All right? We got to get back to the place, like, back in the day, right? They just wore, I mean, that'd be kind of nice, Lord, just sheets. That'd be a real good look on everybody. Just sheets. We wouldn't have to worry about tucking it in or sucking it up or getting muscular. I don't know. I'm having a moment. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) Listen. But seriously, though, what would the body look like if we saw the beauty within? And that was what we married. If we saw the beauty within and that was what we married, not this. Not this. Because I'll tell you what, the older I get, the more I realize I'll take a friend that looks like a homeless person any day over a man or a woman in a suit that's got an attitude. All day long, I'll share my mansion in heaven with you. You remember when Jesus said um, to the Pharisees, and I thought, oh, he's brave. You whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. You look good out here. You got all this put together nice in a package. But you're a hot mess in here. And we can be a hot mess in here and still have a loving heart. Do you track him with me? Right? Right? You've met people like that where it's like, I don't care that you're a hot mess, but y- you're loving, you're kind, you're respectful, you're gentle, you got a pure heart. Anyways, that was a bonny trail. Shoot it. Let's get back on track. Okay. <laughs> oh, Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. So, why do people lie and deceive? Why do people lie and deceive? Mostly to protect ourselves, right? to protect ourselves because we don't feel safe because we're trying to protect ourselves from getting hurt again or being hurt in the first place, right? Sometimes because we're insecure and we're not sure, you know, who we are or what our role is or we're not feeling significant maybe, right? So we try to finagle our way into something or around something or out of something because we know this is going to make us feel a certain way and help us feel significant or important or powerful. Deception is never, ever sustainable because truth always prevails. Truth is a person, amen? Truth is Jesus. And just like the light always dispels the darkness, because truth is a person and Jesus is light and Jesus is truth, truth always, always, always prevails. That's why the Baljim Wall doesn't last. That's why it starts to pulsate and crack. It cannot stand because there are spiritual laws set in place, and the Lord will not allow it. Just like the child with the tantrum, not because he doesn't love us, but because he does, and he doesn't want us to hurt ourselves more than we need to be hurt. So he allows those walls to be shattered mercilessly, mercilessly. And it can be a very painful process when we put them up. But, oh, man, it's a glorious process once that wall's down and you get that first embrace of his perfect love. It's like, Whoo, I never want to (laughs) leave. Jesus don't care about my hips, you know. He's not worried about that. He don't care about my belly. He don't care if I'm doing yard work and I'm looking all crazy. He loves me just the way I am, always and forever. And he loves you just the way you are. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to say that. That would have been funny, but. Jesus, reel it in. Amen. What am I saying? We're looking at this obstinate nation, and we have a problem. But God is bigger than the nation. God is bigger than the obstinance. God is bigger than the walls. God is bigger than the deception. And he always, always wins. So how does this tie into the whole keep calm and carry on? You're probably wondering. This was a personal word from the Lord for me regarding my situation, and many of you know what's been going on with me the last year and a half with my family. And I was like praying and trying and crying and standing up and believing and waiting and pushing in and holding on and decreeing and declaring. And all of that happening, then the divorce still happened. And I was like, Lord, I prayed so much. I, I believed so hard. I, I still want this, Father. What do I do now? What do I do now? And he said, Stephanie, keep calm and carry on. I was like, all right. The history of keep calm and carry on is this, and I'll show you a little picture here. This poster, it's a poster, okay, or it was a poster, it has a fascinating history. It began in the Senate House there, where it was issued through the Ministry of Defense during the Second World War in Great Britain. Generally considered to have begun World War, that World War, the Second Great World War, generally considered to have begun on September 1st, 1939, when Nazi Germany under Adolf Hitler invaded Poland and the United Kingdom and France declared war on September 3rd. Japan had aimed to utilize this moment for their own benefit and begin to dominate Asia and the Pacific. They were at war with China by 1937, and in 1941, attacked American and British territories with near-simultaneous offensives against Southeast Asia, including an attack on the U.S. fleet Pearl Harbor, at Pearl Harbor, which forced the U.S. to declare war on Japan. The war concluded with Hitler's suicide and the German unconditional surrender on May 8, 1945. Japan refused to surrender on the terms and therefore the USA dropped the first atomic bomb on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki on September 2nd, 1945, cementing a total victory in Asia for their allies. And I was thinking that through in a specific situation and kind of the whole idea of heaven and hell and I was having some conversations with my friend who's in town, Tina K. And God doesn't want to send anyone to hell. He just doesn't. He wants a family. He doesn't really even want to release his wrath. He'd rather we just repent. But there are times and there are seasons when we've built up our wall and let it bulge and where we've decided to continue to oppress and decided to continue to wrong and continue to deceive. And it's really not even God that brings the wrath We're partnering at that point with the demonic. And really what wrath is, is tasting the master whom you've chosen to serve. It's getting a taste of being under Satan's rule, and he's a taskmaster. And his rule is always painful. His rule is always hurtful. His rule always brings death and destruction. It just does, because that's who he is. He's the father of lies. Amen? So this original poster, let's get back to this, and then we'll get to that in a minute, was one of three key messages created by Britain's wartime Ministry of Information Department. And I think this is neat. So keep calm and carry on. And I like, do you notice the crown on there? Turn your name and say, neighbor. You're a crowned prince or princess. Okay? Yeah. In the Hebrew... Um, A crowned vav refers to Jesus. Vav is the number of man. A crowned vav refers to Jesus. It's pretty cool. You are crowned, literally. You're crowned with his glory and with his grace, with the finished work of Christ. So they had three posters. Keep calm and carry on was one of them. The other one was, your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. How many noticed today when Alan got up and said what he said about the fact that God's worship, our worship today was bringing God so much joy, shifted the room? His cheerfulness, his joyful perspective shifted the entire room. Then what happened? Brent said, Raise your hands. And we all were infused with the grace and the glory of God. And we were like, Yes, that's true. He's pleased with us. That one encouraging word shifted the entire room. Isn't that beautiful? Freedom is, the other one said, freedom is in peril. Defend it with all your might. I like that one. And we're experiencing that, frankly, here in the nation. Okay? There are many freedoms that are in peril. And those who are defending it are right to do so. We just have to be careful the heart with which we do so. Okay? Because there's a real people with real destinies and real callings, we're called to be children of God. Okay. And the third one, of course, is keep calm and carry on. And it's interesting because the keep calm and carry on poster never really made it out to the streets in Britain. There were twenty four, two point four, excuse me, two point four five million of them printed, but because of the paper shortage, they ended up having to recycle them all and use them for the defense and the war. And finally in 2000, some, uh, some uh, daughter of a general turned in 15 of them and then they became popular again. And now you see them all over coffee mugs and pens and T-shirts and hats, right? If you're not familiar with Winston Spencer Churchill, he is an amazing man, but not a perfect man. He was a man that God used to change history, He was also known as being very aggressive, very loud, and also accused of being a drunk. But he had a situation on his hands, and sometimes this happens to those of us that can see far. Sometimes the gifted ones can see so far into the future that when we try to convince those around us of where we're headed, they think we're crazy. But we have a knower called Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And we're trying to communicate a message to a people that can't see. So then we're called loud or rude or unkind or mean or whatever. Or racist or a bigot. First as the minister of defense and later as the prime minister and key member of the multinational coalition, Churchill masterfully managed the situation of the war and never lost his faith in the war's eventual outcome. There are Christians right now that are saying, our nation will be united again. And people are looking at us and they're saying, you're crazy, you don't know. And there is a lot we don't know, but I know this. We are one already in Christ. And there are more Christians in this nation than there are not. And if and when and as we come into the fullness of the character of Christ, we will be united again. We are only united to the measure that Christ dwells in us. To the measure that Christ dwells in us, that's how much we're united with one another. In those areas where we're obstinate and like, no, And it's on both sides of the camp. That's where the divides are happening. And it takes courage in this hour, courage in this day to say, you know what, Lord? I'm willing to look at my part. How can I love? How can I serve? How can I listen? How can I humble myself? How can I receive the seed in that koinonia moment when we have these vulnerable conversations to do the part that I need to do? Amen? If you're willing, say, I'm willing, because I am willing. Amen? He was so brilliantly adept at preparing his nation and his allies for the problems that they would face when peace finally did return. He had a strategy, and that happens sometimes too. You have a strategy, and you can see a solution, and you can see an answer, and people are like, I don't get it. It's okay. You're not meant to get it. That's my job. That's my role. God gave me this gift. Just let me do who he made me to be. A friend pastor of mine at a regional event, I stood up and said one time, because I run Coggle Network, for those of you who don't know, um, I've been serving in that network for over 10 years, and it's really a vision to see the city united to transform our city with Christ, okay, across all seven spheres of influence, but it does have a kind of a complex systemic approach to dealing with root cause issues and advancing the kingdom of God in each of the seven mountains. That's hard to explain to someone. So some things were going on, and people were tussling back and forth, and there was kind of a leadership thing going on, right? You had two leaders in the room, and somebody says, well, who's in charge? And it, I was hosting the event, but I tend not to operate heavy-handed. I just don't. I'm not going to do it. When we got it, the matter settled, and the, the speaker that had come in was a little offended. You know, some, uh, frankly, ego got in there. And um, I just went low, right? When the stakes are high, what does God say? Bend low. And Jesse got up. I said, Lord, you're going to have to vindicate me. You're going to have to deal with this because I'm not going to correct it myself. I'm just going to let it sit and continue to serve. And my friend Jesse gets up on stage and he says, you know, a lot of times God gives Stephanie something and people think she's crazy when she says it. But then when all the cards play out, she's almost right every time. And it's not because I'm right. It's because God showed me something and I know it here. But sometimes I don't have the verbal ability or communication, the capacity to communicate it in a way that other people can receive it. Or they don't have a revelation of who God is, kind of like we were talking about with the individuals that are putting up the wall, to be able to relate and say, yes, that's possible, right? And in our nation, that's sort of what's going on. We have individuals that are saying, you know, this is possible, healing is possible, Wholeness is possible. Hope is imminent. Victory is the only outcome. And some of us are like, yes, yes, I believe it. And others are hurting and they're wounded and their walls are bulging because of their wounds and they're saying, I don't see it. And our job as the church is to pray, Father, give them an encounter with your love that helps them to be able to see that you are good and that you're on their heels, chasing them, saying, daughter, son, turn around, I'm here, I'm with you, this is possible, and I want to do it through you. Above all, Churchill clearly foresaw the end of the war in Europe, and that's a gift To see the end of a massacre of a people, the end of a wronging of a people, and to be able to come up with solutions in a time when people are just hurting and angry and everybody's bombing everybody, that's a gift. He showed such sound judgment, they say, in fact, that one could say his predictions make a handsome bookend to his other long-recognized predictions in the 1930s about the coming Of the war. But he was a flawed man. Turn to your neighbor and say, Neighbor, God uses flawed people. Because he uses me. And he uses you. (laughs) Guess what that means? We're flawed. And it's okay. Right? But we're hearing these narratives where people want to point out all the flaws of everybody around them. Instead of looking at, okay, what are they doing that's good, right? Think on those things that are noble, praiseworthy, good. Those are the things we're supposed to think on, right? We have a mayor right now, a Jewish mayor who does not know the Lord. And he has some alliances that I do not agree with because they're not kingdom alliances. But he is very, very good at strategy, in fact, he has one of the best branding and marketing plans for economic growth that I've seen in the history of the mayorship of this city. And I absolutely love him. Absolutely love him. And we should be praying for him and supporting him. Amen. So, what is our aim? I love this quote. This is my favorite quote. Winston Churchill said this in a speech in the House of Commons on May 13th, 1940. What is our aim? He said, victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long it takes and hard the road may be, for without victory there is no survival. And frankly, I feel like this is a prophetic word for the church. And this is a prophetic word for our nation. We will not survive if we do not decide we want victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror or intimidation. Victory, however long and hard the road. Because without victory, there is no survival. What is our aim? Our aim is victory. And I told you all the story about being in D.C. and that the Lord gave that word, that prophetic word, that victory is the only outcome. All the world is trying to say America's falling apart. No, we're not. We're coming into our own. We just happen to have a nation, two nations of people that had been oppressed previously and are trying to figure out who they are and find their place. And that is okay. And they are, have the right to do that, and they ought to do that, and we need to make room for the gift that they are. Amen? And when the walls are up and they're bulging and cracking and falling down, we need to pray, Father, give an encounter. And we need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves and listen and be kind and be helpful, and be available. It goes on in Isaiah 30, 15 through 18. And the Lord says further on, in repentance and rest is your salvation. Repentance just means in the Hebrew to come back up to the high place. That's where we get the word penthouse. Repent. Come back up again to your seated place, to your crowned place in Christ Jesus and keep calm and carry on. Because the narratives of the enemy that are pressing in on you and telling you you're not going to survive this, telling you you're not going to be able to fulfill your destiny, telling you you aren't who he says you are, are all lies. And you need to stay seated in the throne. Remember who you are and operate from that place of the third heaven. God said it, therefore it is. I decree and declare and watch it come to pass. I'm going to tell a story. I have an African-American friend who works for the, um, what is it? American Center for Law and Justice. Is that right? No, ACWU. Thank you, ACLU, thank you. Did I say that right? It, thank you, American Civil Liberties Union. Yeah, that's right, American Civil Liberties Union. And um, we sit down for a meeting with him, and we're working on this issue with bail, okay? Anybody know that the bail system in our country is completely messed up, okay? You got one judge that gives this person 500,000 bail. This guy gets nothing because he knows somebody. This guy loses his job because he did the same crime. There's a problem. There's no regulation, okay? So there needs to be regulation on this. It's, It's problematic. It's at the judge's discretion. So we're talking about this, and I'm like, yes, I'm totally in agreement with you. And he says to me, well, you guys support this then? I said, yes, we support this. This is a kingdom principle. It's not fair and just. There's no consistency in these rulings, and there should be consistency. It should be the same so that the peoples aren't oppressed, right, so that people can keep their jobs and their families and their livelihoods. And he's like, well, everybody else I talk to, because we support LGBTQIA, whatever the other letters are now, they, they won't partner with us. And I said, we don't care about that, but we'll partner with you on this issue because truth is truth. Amen? Amen? And I think one of the ways the enemy has been successful in this hour is where there's a little mixture. We've said no, and we've put up an obstinate wall on both sides. No to this one little piece over here. So we put up an obstinate wall. When really, from both sides of the platform, we need to be coming together and saying, actually, this is right. This is good. This is godly. This is righteous. And I say yes and amen. Because it aligns with his kingdom. So the story goes on, and and he starts, I ask him, I don't know how Little Rock came up. We had just been talking about it, you and I, with Jamar at the time. Yep, the Little Rock Nine, and there was a prophecy that came to pass, and he told me it was from Alabama, so I asked him about the Little Rock Nine. Yeah, Arkansas, thank you. Did he know about them in Arkansas? And he says, Yeah. You know, and then he said, Actually, my dad was accused of bombing the school or threatening to bomb the school or something along those lines. And he didn't do it. And we've been trying to get this righted for over like 40 years or whatever it was. And I was like, Shut the front door. Are you serious? He's like, "Yes, it's been really hard for our family and difficult we haven't been able to get it turned around." And Father God had me prophesy to him in that moment. I said, "I want to tell you something. You work for the LC, AC, ACLU and you're in the the courts here in the land trying to make a difference and that is good and it is godly, but there's a higher court." in heaven. And we're going to go before the higher court right now, and we're going to call for justice. And I'm going to teach you how to rule and reign from that third heaven so that you don't have to wait for men to get it together to see the justice of God come. And we prayed in that moment, and I'm telling you that it was the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the fire of God came on me, and we prayed in that moment that following Wednesday, he emails me and he says, Stephanie, I cannot thank you enough. We finally got the letter from the governor. My dad's name is cleared. After decades, one moment in the presence of the king of kings and the judge of all judges, the ancient of days, with a petition according to the finished work of Jesus Christ, changed a man's life. And we have to be so careful. We have to be so careful to not look to Egypt. Listen, if there's an unjust thing happening, you take it before the courts of heaven and the king of kings and lord of lords because he always overrules everything else. And he can turn anything around. The enemy would have us get our eyes on Egypt and how this isn't fair and that's not fair and this isn't fair and that's not fair. You have a higher authority. You have a higher court you can call on and go to. When we keep our eyes on Egypt, all it brings is wounds and bitterness and shame and disgrace. And then we have to take responsibility and stop and say, man, my trust was in this, not him. Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. So we told his testimony at one of our meetings for Kaggle Network. And we laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And we just praised God. It's literally that simple. Turn to your neighbor and say, it is finished. It is finished. And all I did was come before the Ancient of Days in the courtroom in my spirit woman and said, Father God, have mercy on my brother. You know this is wrong. We loosed some angels to go and make it right. We decreed and declared the truth of the word. We pled the blood of Jesus, and I said, his price is paid, Father God. Vindicate your son. Vindicate your name. Glorify your name and show him that you are true. And he did it in an instant. Less than seven days. Imagine what types of wars could be averted, riots could be averted, arguments could be averted. Struggles could be averted if we understood our authority in the high court. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you have an advocate in the highest of all courts. Anything you need, you just go and ask. Okay? This is the era and the season and the time that we're coming into as the body of Christ. We talk about reforming cities and seeing cities transform and discipling nations. That's what the scripture says. I called you to disciple nations. How do you think we're going to do that? we got to come up higher. You remember when the Lord said, said to John, come up here. What's he talking about? What do you mean come up here? I remember somebody gave me that word. I'm like, look, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just here for prophetic worship, but come up here, whatever. Like, come up here. Okay, Lord, bring me up to heaven. Like, I'm waiting for a physical experience. I didn't get it. I didn't get it that he was calling me to operate from a level of higher authority because I was twisting and turning around in my circumstances and in my problems and some of the spiritual abuse that I was enduring at the time. And I was floundering back and forth, going, Lord, when, God, when? When is this going to stop? I don't understand. The Lord's saying to me, Come up higher. I gave you the authority. You have the answer right there in your hand. What did he say to Moses when he was standing at the Red Sea? What is in your hand? Hold it out. All the fullness of the glory of Christ Jesus dwells on the inside of you. You are literally seated in the heavenly places with Christ. You have an amazing inheritance. An amazing inheritance. And the more you're in this word, the more you're in this book, the more you learn who you are and whose you are and what he did on your behalf. It's not that in our own might or in our own authority or in our own efforts, we just arbitrarily choose and pick what we want to do. But when Holy Spirit says, this is my will, we simply agree. We come up here, and we agree, and we decree, and it shifts. It has to obey. You are made in the image of God. Paul says, I, we believe, and therefore we speak. What do you mean we believe, and therefore we speak? You shall have whatsoever you say. It's only the last probably seven, eight years or so I've really been learning the power of Decree. There isn't much coming out of this mouth that isn't going intentionally coming out to produce fruit. I still have my moments, but not much anymore. Come on, praise Jesus. That's right, praise Jesus. So he says there to the people, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Repentance requires Humility. It requires us looking to the Lord and saying, okay, I really don't know what to do. Somebody was asking me the other day, like, what do you what do, you do? How do you know when and where and whatever? I said, I made up my mind that I know nothing, but I know the one who knows everything. So I don't have to always be prepared because I know the one that knows everything. So he's always right. He's always on time. He's always fully equipped and ready and knowledgeable. So I don't have to worry about it. So any moment, any time, anywhere, I can just... What are we doing, Lord? And sometimes I think people look at me who are more organized, and I'm sorry. I know it's annoying. They're like, Well, what are we doing? I don't know. I'm like, Oh, we're going to strum the harp. I don't know, Lord, what do we want to do? What do you want to do? But there's a freedom in letting go and just letting Him be in charge. I have so much joy. Holly teases me. She says, You want joy? Go to Stephanie for an impartation. Why? Because the weight of the world isn't on my shoulders. Do I want to change the world? Yes. Do I want to disciple nations? Yes. Do I want to crush every demon head that God gives me permission to crush? Oh, yes. I do. But I don't have to do it in my own strength. I just get to meander around and be with the love of my life and enjoy that he enjoys me in all the fullness of me. (laughs) We won't go back down that road. (laughs) And he enjoys you in all the fullness of you. And we can rest in that. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He longs to be gracious to us. He rises to show you compassion for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. How many of y'all are still learning to wait on a few things? (laughs) Okay. Well, if you you are not waiting on something, please come lay hands on me. I would like to receive that blessing. (laughs) We're all learning to wait, right? We're all learning to wait. Patience is a fruit, fruit of the Spirit. Love is what? Patient. Love is kind. I think maybe God put that first because that's the one we forget the most. We're like, when God, when God, when God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Like the kid in the back seat, right? And that's okay. He doesn't mind. But patience is a good thing. Yeah, I'm definitely like that too, honey. You are not alone. If you read my journals, probably 50% of them are God, when are we going to? God, when is this? And in those younger years, you know, my passion was so (laughs) strong, and I think it still is, but um, when I look back at those journals and I read through them now, the, the special pages, the special moments are those moments when I slowed down enough to just be still and let him love on me. Just let him love on me. In the midst of my mess, in the midst of my hurriedness, in the midst of my inability, Just let him love on me. And those were the transforming moments. Those were the moments where I turned around and said, man, I'm different from the moment I walked in this room to the moment I'm walking out. The scripture tells us, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you love you? Do you know it's okay to love you? Some would say it's arrogance. No, it's not. I love me some me. I love me some me. I like being alone with myself. I like being with people, but I like being alone with myself. And there's nothing wrong with loving you because God made you. He made you on purpose. He actually thinks you're pretty amazing. He enjoys being alone with you. He loves every quirk, every little tiny way you do things that people do or don't understand. He's fond of you. He is so very fond of you. I love this next part. S- so keep calm and carry on. This all has been an appeal to the ones that are struggling with being obstinate. And listen to what he says to them now. I love this book. And it says, Weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears you, he will answer. That's my beloved. And you, you picture those. Individuals that are struggling with the absence and struggling with the deceit and struggling with knowing that they're loved. And he's chasing them and chasing them. He's waiting, just waiting for them to cry out. And he says, as soon as you cry out, he answers you. That is Beautiful. So it goes on, I was moving down through the chapters, and I'm not going to read the full context for the sake of time. But I got to this verse in Isaiah 32, 16 through 20, and it says, justice will dwell in the desert, and righteousness will live in the fertile field. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Why justice in the desert? Why righteousness in the fertile field? And I started to think about our conversation about twisted justice, Holly. In the place of twisted justice, in other words, that spirit of do it right, be right, and you are right with me. Perform, adhere to this standard, measure up. It's a desert land. It's a desolate, dry, thirsty desert land. Why? Because we can never perform enough. We can never be perfect enough. We can never measure up enough in and of ourselves, right? So it becomes a dry and weary land where jackals are always coming up and telling us what we're doing wrong, and we're agreeing going, yeah, that's true, right? (laughs) I know, we laugh, right, but it's true. (laughs) But it says righteousness will live in the fertile land so the place flowing with milk and honey the place flowing with the streams and the rivers that make men glad with the fruit trees where the leaves are for healing on both sides of the river the place where the river flows that brings life everywhere it touches everywhere it goes is the place of righteousness but the righteousness isn't a righteousness in and of ourselves it's the gift of God through Christ Jesus and it Creates fertile land and things can grow there because we're constantly in relationship with the one who loves us perfectly, who pays for our sins every time we make a mistake. So we just keep coming back and receiving more of his love, and then we're able to give more of his love and love our neighbor more. And then we come back and we mess up and we receive more of his love, and then we go back out and we're able to love our neighbor more, and then we mess up again. Turn to your neighbor and say, Neighbor. You're going to mess up. And it's okay. That's what Jesus died for. That's why he died. And in fact, the scripture says, you have become, that's past tense. You have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you became, your spirit woman, your spirit man became the righteousness of God. Whoa. Come on. Hey, I'm just saying. That's something. So whatever you're struggling with, you just keep reminding yourself, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what he says. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what he says. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And one day you're going to turn around and you're going, man, I don't struggle with that anymore. Why? Because I know who I am. And yes, it was a gift, but because I know and I believe. The reality of the fact that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I start to live like father. I start to talk like father. I start to think like father. I start to love like father. I start to respond like father. I start to be generous like father. I start to forgive like father. Why? Because I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The scripture says the kingdom of God is what? Righteousness, which is a gift, which produces peace or shalom and wholeness in every single area. That's that fertile land we're talking about. And joy. You'll never be happier than settling and resting on the reality that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because that's what produces peace in our life. Because we know who we are, then we can obey. This is who I am. And then that joy comes and it increases and it increases and it increases. I heard a story this morning. Uh, my friend was watching her pastor online and he was telling a story about these rats and he was doing a, they were doing a science experiment and they put the rats in a bucket and um, he was timing how long it would take them to drown. So the first rats, he didn't rescue them. He just timed it and they all drowned within whatever it was, a minute or whatever. The second rat, set of rats he put in the bucket. But he pulled them out and rescued them after so many seconds, dried them off, warmed them up, and then put them back in. The second time he put them in, they were able to swim twice as long. He pulled them out again, dried them off, warmed them up, and then put them back in. They were able to swim three times as long. He pulled them out, dried them off, warmed them up again. Put them back in the water and they were able to swim for two hours without drowning. And Father God does that for us. He pulls us out of our mess through the finished work of his son and he dries us off. And he says, baby, it's gonna be alright. Let me dry you off. Let me just put you here in my heart. Just listen to my love for you. Hear my heartbeat. Remember who I said you are. And I'm going to put you back in. You're going to be all right. But you're going to be able to swim a lot longer. And if you start to feel like you're going to drown again, you just cry. The moment you cry out, I will hear you. And I'll pick you right back up. Pull you right back in. But I am going to put you back in. <laughs> and sometimes you go, no! Right? Like, I don't want to swim anymore! But the goal of our faith... <laughs> is that we look like him, right? And we all have those moments where we cry and are like, no, I don't want to (laughs) swim. Can't I just stay here for another day or two, please? I beg of you, God, have mercy. He's like, oh, honey, I am having mercy. (laughs) Right? But the goal is that we can learn to swim for a long time consistently in the waters of this world in a way that reflect the love of God and bring his glory everywhere the sole of our foot treads, and where we advance the purposes of his kingdom and see success everywhere we go, amen? And then it says, the fruit of righteousness will be peace, the effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence. Come on, somebody. So you might be thinking, well, I want to be confident, you know? I want to be quiet. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. <laughs> I, I have to confess, I have gotten quieter in my old age. I just don't have as much to say. I don't. This is, this is nothing compared to what I used to want to say. But I have actually gotten quieter. Like I'll be in car rides, and I don't feel the need anymore to say much. So I'm finding people are asking me more questions. Whereas before I was just da da da, 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 da you know out of the overflow of my heart. But it goes on here in Isaiah 32, and I love this piece. Oh, hold on, my little paper's got mixed up here. Let me make sure that's in there? Okay, I see. Yep, this is the other one. No problem. So he says, my people. In Isaiah 32, 18-20, and I love the context of this, Is just oh, wrecked me today. And I feel like this is actually a word for the corporate body of Christ, and this is a word for a nation. Here we go. And starting in verse, let's do 15. It says, until the spirit is poured out upon us from high, and the desert becomes a fertile field. Come on, we just talked about that. And the fertile field seems like a forest. Come on. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. And then he goes on in verse 18 and he says, My people will live in peaceful dwellings. And I'm just going to reiterate this, even though it doesn't say in the scripture. My people in secure homes my people in undisturbed places of rest though hail flattens the forest and the city is leveled completely my people how blessed will you be sowing your seed for by every stream and letting your cattle and donkeys range free come on somebody My people, he says. Mm -hmm. Turn to your neighbor and say, guess what? You're a my people. (laughs) That's right. He's talking to you. So keep calm and carry on because victory is the only outcome. Isaiah 33 says, he will be a sure foundation for your times A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. So you're wondering, how do I get there? How do I arrive at this? How do I receive this? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And if you don't feel like you have that, I mean, it's sort of like, It's not a fear like you're scared of him. It's a holy reverential awe fear. He's the real deal. He means what he says, and he says what he means, and he'll do what he'll say. And just like in the experiment, he's going to pick me up when he says he's going to pick me up. He's not going to leave me here to die. He's not going to pull the rug out from under my feet. He's not going to make me look like a fool. And if he asks me to do something that feels foolish to me, there's a purpose in it, and there's a good intention, and there's a glorious outcome intended at the other end. It's not for naught. Amen? And I love this picture. I love this picture because it shows the joy of the Savior. It says it pleased God to crush him. And I I didn't understand that for a long time. Lord, like really? How could it please you to crush him? How could it please you to crush him? I don't understand. That's your son, your one and only son that you loved. How could it please you to crush him? But it pleased him because love is always willing to lay down its life for another. Love is always willing to lay down his life for his brother, for his sister. So it brought him joy to lay his life down for you, for me. In Philippians, it says, talking about Jesus, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider himself equality with God something to be grasped, but considered made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in an appearance as man. He humbled himself. There's that word again. He humbled himself. What does the fear of the Lord look like? It looks like humility. It says he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And this is the good news. Every time we humble ourselves, we're actually positioning ourselves for promotion. Because listen to this. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore is connected to what was before. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To what? The glory of God the Father in heaven. I love that. We can never outgive God. We're never losing. We're never, ever, ever on the losing end because love always gives and God is love and he's giving to us. And whenever he gives to us and we surrender, we gain more of him, more of his glory, more of his grace, more of his love. And it is the greatest, okay, for you ladies out there, sale in the world. Okay, let's just keep it. It is the best deal out there. That we'll ever find for musicians, okay? It's like the, the steal of a deal on the guitar of your dreams. Right? I don't know what it is you like, whatever your thing is. It's like you cannot beat this. He gave it all and is giving it to us. We have a moment, one moment of surrender. And then the exchange happens and we get the win. We get the glory, we get the grace, we get the love, we get the power. We get more of Him. We get to participate in the divine nature of God. Come on. How many people can say that? That's insane. I mean, how loving does God have to be to pick a people like us and say, I actually want to dwell in you and allow you to participate in my divine plan for all of the earth and all of humanity and all of history? That is like mind blowing. What an honor. What an honor. What a privilege. All right. Here's the other good news. And I'm just going to read this like he's saying it right to you. If you will fasten me upon your heart as a seal, a fire forevermore, this living, consuming flame will seal you as my prisoner of love. My passion is stronger than the chains of death and the grave, all consuming as the very flashes of fire from the burning heart of God. Place this, my fierce, unrelenting fire, over your being. And then rivers of pain and persecution will never extinguish this flame. Endless floods will be unable to quench its ra- this raging fire that burns within you. Everything will be consumed. Mm. Everything will be consumed. It will stop at nothing as you yield everything to this furious fire until it won't even seem like a sacrifice anymore. Because we get the win over and over and over again. We have a moment of surrender, a moment of sacrifice, and then we get the win. The resurrection life comes and gives us more of him. And it's like, ooh, just like them little rats. (laughs) I can swim again. This is worth it to taste and see, to hear, to come up higher, to rule and reign with you. I can do this again. Yeah. Why? Because my God is faithful. My God doesn't let me down. My God does what he says he's going to do. And some of you, the Lord is saying to you, you're rising out of your desert, clinging to your beloved. When I awakened you under the apple tree, as you were feasting upon me, I awakened your innermost being with the travail of birth as you longed for more Of me. Amen. Who is this one? That passage starts off as. Who is this one? And our reply back to him is just this. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is who I am. And I am leaning on my beloved because he accomplished it all. And the enemy can come and all he wants because I know who I am. Can you say it with me? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, you are. Matt, can you put some music on for us? And I'm going to have Don and Patty come up. God loves you. I hope you're encouraged by the message today. There is no wall too high no person too obstinate, no deceit too deep that God cannot find you and bring you back to himself. As soon as you cry out to him, he answers you. Okay? If you'd like prayer today or healing or agreement in prayer or anything like that, come on down or even just a prophetic word. The Lord wants to speak to you. He loves you and he longs to show be gracious to you, just like we talked about today. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what He wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good, and He has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekina.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled listener support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you. We love you. Have a blessed day.